Welcome back, perfect peeps, to Perfect.dev. Today on the show, we have Tim Bennix. What's up, Hello. Tim? What is up? So nice so to be here. It's been a minute since uh, we last talked. Uh, I believe yes. you have you have kind of moved out of Paris, kind of temporarily, and you're you're in the countryside, kind of staying out of the, the mess that is COVID, right? Yeah, now we we have this. We are very lucky to have friends who actually moved from the city a couple of years ago to this old countryside place where they have a farm, and they sell or rent out each each summer. They have like little houses that they made, and so it's like holiday places basically. And they said you don't want to have another like four or five weeks or maybe longer as like a true lockdown in Paris. You, you just just insane. Just yeah. come and stay with us. And then we went. And it was so nice that That's we just canceled. Fantastic. It is. And the thing is, we canceled our rent and we're like, we're never going to go back now. <laughs> yeah. When we talk lockdown in Paris, we, we talk actual lockdown. Like yeah. you can walk your dog, but you need to fill out a form. Otherwise, you get a fine of 500 bucks. Oh, my wow. God. This yeah. is like proper lockdown. Yeah, yeah that's that's legit. That, that is not something I'm accustomed to here in the states. We're, we're not no, doing that. Would time. never happen there. Like they can't do that here, but nowhere else. Well, Spain yeah. has the same. Italy had the same. But it's just people don't like to listen in France. Yeah. Yeah. People so. are complaining about <laughs> Michigan's lockdown, man. <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> now this this was full on, but then we stayed here, and now we decided like, well, we talked to them like, how long can we stay? We're just going to pay you rent because we're just going to stay in one of your houses where you're looking at it now. It's it's not huge, but it's great, yeah. and so we actually bought a house now. So we're going to like after oh, like thirty six years in the country in the city, I'm not going to be like a country boy. Oh, Let's wow. see. <laughs> Congratulations. Awesome. Thanks. So, so yeah, the reason that we brought you on, Tim, of course, is to talk all about becoming a developer advocate. And last time we spoke, um, you know, we have the, the connection between Cloudinary's MDE program. So it was great to talk about, you know, building communities and, and Cloudinary. Mm-hmm. But um, since then, you kind of posted at one point, um, you know, I'm, I'm switching roles and it, it, it took me aback. I was like, wait, what, what's going on with Tim? And so it was kind of an exciting moment to, to be able to reach out to you about um, becoming a developer advocate when you've actually switched from like a, a full-on director position at a company where you were leading a lot. What's that been like for you? And and kind of this whole, it sounds like you're, you're in many transitions in your life. What, what's yes. that like? Um, well, I at one point, this was a couple of weeks back when nothing has really started, right? We called this the power vacuum because I didn't have a house. I stayed with friends. I didn't have my own stuff. Everything was in in lock, lockdown somewhere. Then we were in lockdown in the house and I quit my job. And there was Corona. And then my wife got really sick from her second vaccine shot and had to go to the hospital. And I was just there like... I think I need to meditate. So that was how I felt at that point. The thing is, all things were positive other than my wife being sick, of course. And she's all good now. Turns out it wasn't really the vaccine, but that's not for this podcast. Um, It's all good now and start. things are slowly starting to go right again. But I felt like there's so much opportunity out there. And like, why not try to change your own career a bit based on how you see things around you because um alex when we spoke last time about cloudinary this is like 
beginning of last year, I think. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to jump on the, the date. It's been a minute. Um, so I think just over a year ago. Yep. Yeah. So at that moment, I was just starting to do more community-based work. I was doing more content creation, more creative stuff. And that's something I really enjoy. Um, but I never did it because I was just working at ad agencies, working my way up with very big clients and big um, campaigns and e-commerce and all of that stuff. And I really enjoyed that. But that's kind of like in the grind, head down from project to the next to the next. Mm -hmm. And at one point, um, it, it all came together, right? So I was working more community-based because I thought what I've learned, why don't I just share what I've learned with people who want to start in this business? And turns out the community was able to teach me way more than I was able to teach them. And so that's a really nice way of growing it. And then at the same time, I had this laid out career path that I knew 10 years ago, this is going to happen if you do your best. And I did, and it worked. And so I became from a junior dev, I became a lead developer. I became like a technical delivery manager. I became a tech lead. I became technical director. And then it was time to become like, it's not like a CTO, but it was right below the CTO taking responsibility in a global agency for all the front-end development work we did. But we're talking 48 offices, so it's a pretty significant job. Mm -hmm. And if I had stayed, I knew I would just get there and at one point either be a CTO somewhere or start my own thing. And then, I don't know, man, things change sometimes. And there's, there's so much um, different levels of politics that start to happen on a C-level of a global company that is in the middle of a pandemic that needs to push growth first. And that's not a bad thing. It's just, this is life. These companies at that level need to do that. And you kind of realize you need to grow and get something different for you. And you know what? I didn't really realize it until I started getting all these offers from smaller places around me, like startups and stuff. And I felt like, yeah, but there's so much more out there than just work for the next big client with their big e-commerce and putting out fires and then having um, our C-level people pushing something that we then have to do because it's great for business, but maybe not so great for everybody else who works there for now. But in five years, it would be great. Like it's all these different things. And I felt like I needed a bit more short-term stuff for some reason, more ad hoc, creative, ever-changing stuff. And so once the right startup came in play, it was very easy to say yes. Yeah. And the one thing I should mention, though, because maybe my colleagues are watching this, if I hadn't had that opportunity, I would have stayed and would be perfectly happy. It was just play that game and do it. Because I got the, um, how do you say, the... Um, the opportunity to represent front-end developers all over the world in that job. And they need representation. It's really important for developers to be, you know, to be represented like there is someone here that knows your job, that knows your pain in these big projects that will help you to get more innovation done and all of that stuff. And so my full focus for that job was investing in people. So a little bit less on the growth side of things. And that's just not always realistic. So were and you almost it, doing developer advocacy before you left too? 
actually I did. Kind of, it yeah, just kind grew of that way because I needed, I felt like I needed to represent all these people to have a trusted face that they could listen to. Because if you just are in an agency, right, and you work, let's say, in the Paris office and they want to make you a global director. In some countries, like in the US, when that happens, it's like, okay, there's a new boss that can work. But in Europe, they're like, who's this guy? Why Why would I listen to him? What, what is this? So what you have to do is work with everybody, mm-hmm. um, help them put out fires, help them pitch new work, make them um, feel like they can trust you. And then when they know your face and you say, hey, now I'm the director, it's like, yeah, sure. So I was kind of advocating myself and the perception of our company to the outside world, right? So I would speak at agencies or, uh, sorry, at um, conferences. And I would speak about whatever I want, like Next probably. But then my name was associated to the company. And that company then got a better name from that with front-end developers. So that's what what I was doing, which is maybe, is that the advocacy? Probably. I might have been doing it. Yeah, and that's that's the interesting part and kind of like the, uh, I don't know, the the box I want to open up and unravel the insides a little bit because um, I think many of us are in this situation, especially like if you're doing things like Brittany and I are doing and you're trying to teach on the side and, and mm-hmm. advocate and, you know, obviously you were doing it, Tim, to, to probably a much larger scale than, than we have even started to, um, but actually taking that on as a role is very different right so now like you go from like a cloud architect a director any of these like great high level paying jobs but Mm -hmm. you're kind of missing out that that interpersonal like goal i guess or that that feeling like you're helping out the rest of the developer world and can you just talk about like was that a big motivator for for you to say, okay, you know, Meltech, you've been great, but like I got to take this next journey in my life and and what that was like? Um, I have to assume, and and maybe this is just a U.S. thing, but going from a, a director to a, a dev advocate was kind of a, a step back in many ways. And was that a hard decision for you to make, at least financially? Well, it's, a, well, it's that's a really interesting question, also based on maybe different cultures and stuff. But I think for a lot of people that would have been financially kind of a draw, like going back, I think that's true. Because if you are like global director of something, there's a certain salary attached, but there's also a certain expectation, how you behave, what you represent, platinum partnerships with software vendors, things like that, right? That's that's part of the game. and now then stepping, like I, I said, like, I'm not stepping back, but I'm stepping sideways because I'm, I feel like there's a wider plane on which you can be senior and do stuff. And I had a whole bunch of people reaching out to me if I wanted to join them, which is super, really flattering to me. Yeah, like awesome. companies I love, like, wow, like, really, you're asking me like, like that, right? And then when you go into discussions, and this is not all of them, but some, they're like, yeah, we can pay you, and that would come down to like 50% of what I was making now. But that right. would be quite normal, because they're a startup with not even a Series A yet. Of course, they cannot pay me that much. Or others that were there for a bit longer, they got away with paying their employees a bit less, but giving them good benefits and being super successful. 
So why pay me much more if you can do that with all these other people, would pay them a bit less and everybody's happy. So I wouldn't feel comfortable, even if they tried to double my salary for what they offered, I wouldn't be comfortable because everybody else would make so much less. Sure. So it was kind of a finding a balance between keeping the life that we have now that we made together um, the same, me happier or different for what I was doing and making a balance. And at one point, the CTO of my current company called um, Uniform, he reached out because we knew each other already. We had worked together for a bit. And he said, do, do you know someone? And then he described me. But I was still at Valtec, but we had worked together at Valtec. He was like a, a consultant. So he couldn't actually ask me directly. And so I just told him, like, you just described my ideal job with the ideal colleagues. Because like in our community, all the time, like every month, there was another developer. Like, I'm joining Uniform. Like, whoa, this one also. That person also. Like, whoa, there's something needs to, something's happening there. So it was on my radar. And then he said, yeah, of course, I cannot ask you because you work at that place that we work together from. And so it's like, I'll call you back in five minutes. And then I made up my mind. It's like, okay, let's just do this. <laughs> and you know what? They were so cool that they offered me the same salary as I had before. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, that's amazing. Uh, that's really it's great. Entirely the same, and normally you want to go a step up to a next job, but that wasn't realistic with going sideways rather than up, right? Yeah. And um, salary is of course important, but the place where you are, if you feel like you can grow when you have like flexibility and talent around you, um, that makes so much difference. Right. That's a great I'm philosophy super... to live by, too, with that balance that you were able to find. How did your day to day look different going from the big company to becoming a de developer advocate and doing that? You know, it's funny. I'm equally busy, but it's just completely different vibes. Right. There's zero stress where I am right now, even though I might be doing harder stuff. And there's the pressures are completely different. And when you work at a startup and you believe in the startup, you go for it because of the story of the startup and you're all like kind of on the battlefield, making it better, trying to get this thing to work. At least that's my opinion of it. And there's a whole bunch of people in that place that all do that. So automatically it just grows. And so I'm very busy, but it's something I really enjoy. And what you do notice is like, we do have all the tools that we also had at Faltech for like communication or how to do like Git commits and like all the, the governance stuff. Yep. It's just, we, it's just not used the same, right? And we ship uh, like a big release every two weeks rather than 1.1. We just go to two because we can, wow. right? It's much smaller, much more iterative. It's... Yep. We might not write unit tests now with 80% coverage because next week it might change and we have pivoted a little, right? It's a very different game. And because the developers are so good, it, it all works. I'm, I'm in awe of how good they are. And that hasn't happened for a long time. That's and it nice. doesn't mean that I was the best at where I was, not even, but not everybody is able to show their talent, right? Is able to explain why they are so good at something because if you cannot speak about it, and you don't understand why clients want something, you can just be grumpy about it. It doesn't really work. And that's a bit agency life, right? And sure. so I'm away from all of that now. And yeah, I, I, I think couldn't be happier, to be honest. 
just just for clarification, like when you're talking agency, I think a lot of times that's equal to like a consulting firm in the U.S. So not I to guess so. That. Yeah, sorry. No yeah, so, no so so in Europe, I guess an agency can be a full service agency from storytelling to technology to making a video. But I think I was actually called a consultant where I used to work. Sure. And I think in the U.S. they're also all consultants. So it's like a firm of consultants with different specialities that just put a team together. I think that's in the U.S. side, that's what I did. But when I before that, my previous job, when I worked at AKQA, they really are an ad agency with a real right. technical insight. I wasn't a consultant there. That That's like so Valtec is indeed more of a consultancy group, but smaller than, let's say, Accenture. Cool. Um when when you kind of came on to, to uniform or, or started into that, at least those discussions and everything like that, was there a dev rel or dev advocate practice already in uniform that you were kind of looking or they were looking to grow? Or was it more um, this is brand new, we we know we need this type of position? Well, it was like when I signed, I was person number 10. When I joined after a couple of months, because this is the French way of contracts, it ends in three months, I was number 30. So they are growing a lot. It was needed. And when I started, they're like, Tim, please do it for us. We don't actually know. Just run. Do your best. Do what you do. And we'll iterate all the time and just find a course for us. And it, that is a very interesting approach to it. So there was pure trust. They know what I do. They know how I can speak. They know how I can make content, stuff like that. Jump in and run. And that works so for was, me. Was uh, there an entire team with you or are you like the only developer? I'm the, only, I'm the only one. And of course, we have something called an enablement team, which is really cool. There's like the best people to sell stuff that I've ever worked with. And they're also very technical because it's a technical company. And so we have somebody who's like a director of growth. We have customer success. We have technical salespeople. We have somebody in marketing, but it's not developer relations, right? So for my, I don't actually have actual KPIs. I don't really know if it's what I do is successful. What is the KPI of a developer relations person? Is it more pre-sales leads? Is it happy developers? But how do you quantify that? Because developers aren't basically happy people sometimes. I don't know. It's really hard. Yeah. Is it like um, the companies, are, are we now associated with awesome stuff because I do something? So it's kind of open. And because of my, like, this is so cool about this company. Maybe I can talk a little bit about them and why it fits me so well. Because... I'm a person who came up in, you know, consulting slash agency world. So I've worked with huge clients. I know the pressures of being in a boardroom and presenting to a CTO or a CEO. But I also have led teams of developers using front-end tools and stuff. And of course, I've been a developer. So I've been on in that whole thing. I've worked as a developer and I've been an, a leader, let's say, and someone who sells. And then... There's all these clients, they're enterprisey clients like the Nikes and the Heineken and the L'Oreal's, the, the, the big companies of this world. I've worked with them all the time. And Uniform makes software for those kind of companies. And so if you know the client type, if you know the, the agency or the you know the consultant stuff, and you know the technology, you can kind of make some sort of 
ball of energy of that and do something with it, right? I can go all different directions. And so it's, it's great to hit on those like KPIs and, and how to be successful because in a lot of companies, like you almost have, especially a startup, like you have to justify your position almost. Um, so mm-hmm. like if you're, if you're brought into that, it's, you know, if, if I'm looking at our SEO scores and our blogs and, and looking at our analytics, like, are you now driving more traffic to our site? Are we getting our name out at conferences? Uh, you know, is, is our actual product margin gone up since Tim was hired, mm-hmm. right? Like all those things kind of come into play, but it's interesting. And, and it sounds like an amazing company to work for because it sounds like they just trust you enough that they believe that the things you do normally and, and advocating and all of that, they just know it's going to bring them more success and get more people behind that product. Then. It, it seems for now that this is what we're looking for. And this it's the company in that sense is amazing. And I, I'm not just saying that because I just started. I actually feel like that because it's a mix of Americans and Europeans. It's a complete, um, like everybody is from everywhere. And so there's not one culture. It's kind of an open culture and we are very direct. And what the guys who started the company did is like, we're just going to look for talent people who are awesome at what they do and we put them all together and then at one point we give them direction and just run and because of that you can sometimes pivot a little and you can iterate a lot short release cycles different way of telling the story all the time and you know what it's working so there's trust there's no rules and there's really high quality density of people with with talent basically and i'm very lucky to be counted among one of those because i feel like i came from a very senior position and i'm now on the junior end of the scale yeah and and that's that's awesome that's that's really the part of like we've we've kind of been talking on and off on the podcast about developer advocacy and and evangelism and and things like that Hmm. and that that piece is very unique if you ask me to you like you were you were kind of on a different track and at a different level on, on that higher side um, of the spectrum. And, and you know, you're, you're kind of calling it a, a vertical or at times a junior. Like, it's very interesting to hear someone that has all of the skills and, and we're down a different path and kind of made that change to switch. So it's kind of incredible to, to hear your passion that you have behind this now. And I think that's what you you have to have in a, a developer advocate. They can't just work on it as a job. Like, they have to truly believe in what they're advocating for, because then when we talk about the true developer advocate side to this, now when people are starting to use your SDKs or starting to use your product, mm-hmm. you believe in it so much, you will be able to convince those people very easily um, that that it's an amazing product and they should check it out and at least try it and, and get moving on it. So it's kind of incredible to, to hear that side of that story from you. Um, well, the cool thing is about it, sorry to interrupt, but that's that's this is the, the technology side. It's really a technology company, but it's not really for technologists so much. It helps. Like we haven't talked about what we do, which is kind of strange, but I'll, yeah, maybe I can do like a one sentence. A yeah, a little bit, because it's very interesting because inside, like we have something that every website has it. It's called a digital experience platform. It's a very LinkedIn way of saying you have a website with an experience in it, right? And so, but the digital experience platform is part of the CMS. Another part might be some marketing stuff. 
there could be some analytics, there could be personalization, but there's also a CDN and deployment. There's all these things together. And nowadays, everything is headless, right? So it's not longer one big suite that does everything for you, like Adobe AEM. It doesn't really exist anymore. So there's now all these headless things. There's a cloud and there is a dam. There's commerce tools for your PIM or whatever you want to call it. But there's not really a platform to organize everything, to orchestrate it. And so that's where, where I work. That's where that's what the focus is, right? How can you easily combine all those separate tools from Netlify to a Jamstack site to a headless CMS and just have it all together and make it work? Because it's a pretty hard thing to do. And then, of course, in a DXP like that, there's this context around it because you can have a headless CMS that can be your core, right? And then there's some website. But the moment you get more enterprisey and more senior or more mature as a brand, you might want to personalize an experience for someone, right? Imagine you go to the perfect dev conference. You buy a ticket. Wouldn't it be nice if you go back to that website that it actually knows that you bought a ticket and gives you the, the talks exactly for you, right? If I only like marketer talks. And there's also a developer talk track that you don't show me the developer talk track because that's not my interest. And you can do all these things with personalization that makes websites way, way better. And that's the other thing that Uniform does is they made personalization actually work on Jamstack sites. So we have statically generated websites that are completely dynamic with personalization on either hydration time or on, um, you know, ads compute on Netlify or Akamai, things like that, like serverless functions that render a little bit for you. And like this podcast is not about that whole product. I'm not here pitching it, but Uh, when I saw it, it was pure black magic. How they did the personalization, it was like, how is this possible? We need to talk about this because you make a Jamstack site, but it's completely dynamic. But when you turn off JavaScript, it still personalizes for you. It's like, what happened here? How did you find this holy grail? Because normally when you do personalization, it has to go back to your origin and check against your persona and a rule-based engine and all of that yeah. stuff. It's slow, let's be honest. It's really yeah. hard to control and there's all this stuff going on. And these guys basically just had some sort of magic and they bottled it. And you know what? Now that I understand it, it's easy. And not that everybody can do it. You need to be a good developer, but they basically made it into a product. And so when I show that to my friends who are better developers than me, they're all like, what is this black magic? I need to see how this works. Every single one of them. And so it's easy to sell. This stuff demos very well. Let's be honest. Sure. I requested a demo, so hopefully uh, you'll oh, be you did. or someone. Oh, cool. That's a lot. I, I, like, I definitely like, I want to you guys later, about but... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I definitely want, like, this pod's all about developer advocacy, but um, for sure we'll get back, we'll have you or, or a team of, of people at Uniform just talk about that product because sure. we talk about Jamstack all the time, and I feel like exactly. I keep saying this over and over, it's now we're back to this mode of, you know, best-in-class items that we can pick all together and then combining yep. it into one core feature. So we'll definitely have you back on for that talk. But I think um, we were talking yeah. to Jason Langstorff the other day about something mm-hmm. that would actually do that to combine yep. all those headless pieces together. So that is we're awesome. Really so we are, we are yep. actually partnering with Netlify on all of that. So awesome. 
and so for me that it only gets better because i i know a whole bunch of people in all those companies already mm -hmm. now i go to a company that, that they like and then suddenly those connections make sense again and you can really do something cool together and i'm not working directly with jason but like his team and stuff and it's, it's really cool to to now suddenly have all these community facing people work together and do something cool and then you get collaborations between partners and that's where developer advocacy can also shine because there's a lot of developers that have to use let's say contentful the cms right if there's a a nice collaboration between a hosting partner that has a bunch of cool cloud stuff and maybe personalization engine. And all those people are people that speak well, that you like from your community. You're going to engage with that. And if you like it, you will tell your boss to buy that stuff. Hmm. And maybe there's some turnover there. It's, it's, this is what I like to do. I'm not per se a salesperson, but if something is cool, why not show it? Because my whole career, I've had to work for those big companies where they all wanted what we have now, but they all had contracts, very expensive contracts with very big systems that could potentially do it, but not in the way they wanted it. And if we did, it was super expensive. So that's why what the work I did was really expensive because we put that super high quality front end that they needed on these big systems. And it was not native, right? So you had to just like try to get it in and we did we built really cool websites with Faltech, but it's expensive time consuming and then when you're two years in they have to replatform to get the newest stuff again it's kind of sad right yeah so now if they choose the new stuff that i'm luckily in the middle of at the moment you don't have to do that replatform again because it's all just separate chunks and you just replace one of them everything still works yeah. Okay. Done with marketing. This is not <laughs> a marketing discussion. Totally fine. It's it's good to understand the company that you're actually moving towards sure. and many of the reasons like why you've made that move. Um, uh, when when I've I've been through some interviews because I'm really interested in becoming a developer advocate, but I oh, like, cool. I'm like you. I don't know if I'm ready to to make the move because of the salary side of things. Um, and, and like. You know, I, I definitely want to, and when the right opportunity fits, maybe that's mm -hmm. the thing I do. But in the only reason I say that is because um, in going through those interviews, a lot of the time they're like, "Okay, day one, like, how are you gonna like make this developer advocacy role uh, possible?" And it's like, mm -hmm. I would build up the community around my product. Like that is the number one thing that I always go back to. Is that something that you're working on creating? Like. A Discord community or a community somewhere that's kind of building up momentum behind Uniform? Well, it's definitely on our roadmap. We, we made a roadmap when I first started and it was so long, it's crazy. There's all these things we can do right there. So let's, uh, let's go. And so we are trying to figure out the best way to talk to the developers because the company is still new. We have a whole bunch of developers that worked with for previous iterations of the product and they're awesome. So we will be making like a uniform stars kind of group of people that we know that are great. And we want to really work with them on Discord to make it feel like a community that's a bit more buzzing and people that know their stuff that help out each other. However, we haven't really kicked this off as much because there's just so much to do on the product end yet. You know, there's still a lot to do. 
So for now, what we focus on or I focus on is also some content creation to make sure that people understand what Uniform is and our perception that it's good, let's say. So there will be the, um, I'll do videos about like new releases or, you know, with the fact that we have a content stack partnership, I'll make a video on that, things like that. But we've also started like live streams. So on Wednesdays, every two weeks, we do um, a product meetup where we either talk about the product or we talk about, you know, complicated use cases that we just alluded to a little bit in Jamstack. And we just go there for an hour and then we have 20, 30 people for now, that is. What I'll interact and learn. Are they on Twitch or YouTube? They're on YouTube, actually, for the moment, okay. because we feel like that might be the best place. And also we're going to do it on LinkedIn, which sounds weird, but we work in enterprise and most decision makers are on LinkedIn. Actually, LinkedIn is amazing for our kind of company. And so it will be that. And if we want to do more personal streams, let's say let's code something is going to be Twitch most likely. How are you getting people to those activities? Like, when you when you start to set that out and you you want to put those presentations out there, it's often like that's great. And when people want the product or already know about it, they can then go to those. But mm-hmm. how are you drawing in people that haven't heard about it and and want to get pulled in? How's that marketing funnel working for you? Well, it's it's we're about creating that at the moment. We just hired a really cool lady for marketing. She knows how to speak the right words and do SEO stuff. And we just build a blog where we write good stuff. So it will be indexed, things like that. And our LinkedIn crew is really big. There's a lot of our the people that do sales and stuff and technical demos, they all come from a background of 10 years of doing that really well. So everybody has a, a really good community themselves. So we just pool our resources. And so I might do a tweet and then our CEO might do a tweet. And then we do a company post. And slowly but surely, we need to just saturate a bit more that we actually have content to show. Because if you go to a blog and there's one post, it's not that interesting or it doesn't feel like there's much there, even though it might be an amazing post. right? So we kind of have to fill it up and then start to target certain keywords and things and it's i'm at week five our marketing lady is in week two i think and we kind of need to find a way here and for now we also do it through partnerships because in well not the old days but the previous days where the people in sales or companies like tech companies that are products they always have partnerships with agencies and other companies that's how they used to do it a lot and Actually, even though that might not happen as much now, we we do do it. So we have partnerships with really cool companies and then we can do collaborations and then hopefully have a wider reach. Um, It's not really focused at the moment. It's more wide and see what works, what sticks, what are we good at and what are we not good at? How can we speak? What is our story even? Because we have multiple stories. Because there's another story where we, for example, can, if you have a really, or not really, or just a monolithical system, right? A huge website. But you want to go to Jamstack because your hosting cost is too high, right? Those big monoliths, when they're on Azure, they can go up to like 50K a month just for all those services. If you go Jamstack, we can go 5K a month if you have a million visitors, right? That's a lot of difference. So we have a product to actually absorb those old systems. And then when you click build, it makes a Jamstack out of all the pages that they have. And then it can also do 
the search bit it'd be put in Algolia or something else and we can just modernize it for them while still using their old system this is a this is very easy sell right for a lot of companies and that's also a part of what we do so do I then talk about that part do I talk about the personalization part do I talk about the orchestration of Jamstack DXP part like there's many things and we need to find which one works best where our roadmap goes and Yes, you can hear. I'm probably that I'm still learning. I, I no, still I, need to find the, the the right approach. I feel like that's I, I, marketing I, in general. You just throw stuff at the wall until it sticks. I mean, that's just how it goes. I, I guess think that, and that advocacy time too is is pretty important in that context as well. I mean, you you will find your community by trying to approach it in many different ways, and then once you yeah. find success, you know, people will continue to drive to it. So. It's really but also champion people, right? People who are great yeah. and who like the product or has done a project with us, right? We yeah. just ask them, can you please just do a great presentation or write it up? We'll help you and we work on it together. It makes us look like we want to integrate with people. It also is not just posting. It's also talking back, right? It's right. not everything is just posting. You, you have to have interaction. I think that's building you, up of that community. I mean, yeah. that, that right there tells you like you're part of it. We're not just like exactly. splashing your stuff out or you're not just absorbing ours. It's all together. Exactly. And we need developers to start doing all that new stuff, right? In the modern DXP with all those best of breeds. Like if somebody really knows Cloudinary, for example, please use it in one of those bigger systems and then talk to us. And because I know Cloudinary also, and then we can make a nice case study. And then suddenly that other person is championed by us. Why not, right? Developers are the ones that help us get there. And so my journey is now to get closer to the developers, but I haven't had the chance as much just yet because we don't have that many projects out there yet with all the new stuff that we're doing. So for now, I'm focusing more on the partnerships and how we can kind of make content together. But um, my goal is to always go to the developers and invest in them. And it will get there at one point. It just takes a bit of time. Are you finding that you're also um, in your role specifically having to reach out and maybe like cold call, uh, you know, the Nikes of the world that you're trying to convert onto this product or you guys are still kind of working out a lot of the kinks right now and it's not so much mm. that side of it yet where like we, we can we if we the project is the the product is good enough to actually serve the Nikes of this world. We okay. have like a company called Clepier, who is a French company, and they do like they have ninety six websites on our platform, and that's from wow. they do like shopping malls and stuff, and they're all on. They came from this big system, and we made them the Jamstack thing and personalization. That's like that's huge. So that yeah. just works. So the product is there and the cool thing is, and that's that's why I'm so lucky about my profile, when I switched, people are starting to ask, you know, hey, why would this guy who is a director, blah, 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 switch to a small company like this that I don't know as a developer? And they start to talk. And now suddenly I'm starting to get some connections for my agency days that are so suddenly want to talk to us or people that I you know, gave a great job and trusted them, let's say two years ago, they became a lead and they moved somewhere else. They now call me, it's like, hey, you're doing this, let's talk because we have certain needs. And having a community helps you to grow all of that. And suddenly I have all these connections that we can use to maybe 
um, put the product in more hands. Mm-hmm. And so you can see, and it's not just advocacy. I'm also kind of like sales a little bit. I do a bit yeah. of pitching and it's like, it's a mix. And that's what I enjoy. I think that's a big part of developer advocacy that a lot of companies are still trying to figure out. It's it's not that, you know, Tim, I'm putting words in your mouth, but it's not that you you're go. the best developer, right? Like you're probably no. a good developer, right? But you also can explain things in a way that other people can understand. However, you do have a high level of technical skill, but it's it's all that mix of all these little good things, personability and and mm-hmm. technical skill and like all that stuff we kind of hit on and talked about. When you start to become a, a person in this developer advocacy role, that becomes the most important thing in putting those connections together. So I, I find it a really fascinating role with, uh, with the more dev advocates that we have on. Some are even more technical, some are less. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fantastic to, to but hear about. This is actually a really good point that you're making because, um, first of all, I don't excel at anything specifically. I kind of have waves and then I put myself somewhere and push, but I will not never be the best. I will never be coding like Avenue, right, or people like that. It's just not me. I will just be more generalistic. I'm a generalist. Yep. And the next thing point that you made is like if you have multiple skill sets, um, and you want to go for developer relations, it requires all those skills. That it, so it requires you to have soft skills, to understand businesses, all of that extra stuff. So you have to be kind of senior, which also means your salary might just have to remain the same. It yeah. might have to go up. In my opinion, it should probably go up because the success of my job role is based on how I behave publicly. Yeah. Imagine I get depressed and I do it differently. That's a pretty bad thing because kind of my job role is connected to me as a person. Mm -hmm. And so I need to find the balance to do my own stuff, my own YouTube channel, whatever, but still have the representation of uniform in my mind when I do something. So I can now not start, um, you know, pushing for things that don't fit my job anymore. And I I had this a lot when I worked at Faltech where I had some criticisms maybe on systems we worked with i feel valid of course i did i felt like i could say it and then they would go through our board of directors and try to censor me through there right because i didn't realize who i was representing and i need to learn this over time and now i do that more maybe you weren't as passionate about it either you know there's two sides to that exactly so i think that's a great wrap up um i think that explains absolutely the, the reason like you went from a director level role into developer advocacy and always and it also speaks to why those those are important positions within a company so thank you yep. really appreciate that um thank you both now, now we're going to dive into a fun part of the show called perfect fix i hope you're excited tim we always, we always oh, like yes. to go first if you're ready oh boy so, so how uh, many do you want Oh, I, I think I have a, a couple of yours up, and the the first one that you have, um, if I would actually share my screen correctly, as always, there we go. Um, so yeah. last time we talked, I double checked double checked the uh, the date, and it was actually um, February of 2020. So we had just kind of talked about the Mac Mini M1 and, mm-hmm. and wanting it and getting it, and so now you've had. I don't know, a while with it. What do you think? I've had a day with it. 
Oh, oh. just one day. Oh and, my goodness. And you know what? It's I, I cannot really show you now because my camera is fixed, but I have a monster of a PC on the other side of my screen here. And I went to that because I want to do video editing, potentially play a game, but mainly like those extra heavy things. And it's just, if I wanted to have the Apple equivalent of this thing, I could not afford it. When I would yeah. talk to my boss to get it, he would laugh at my face. Like it was yep. not realistic. So I saved up some money, bought a PC. And you know what? It was kind of, how do you say, not so stable. It was a bit loud. It got a bit hot. And now that I went to a new company, I thought, you know what? I'll rebuild this PC. I'll get more expensive stuff and just redo it because I learned. Turns out all the parts are no longer like there are no PC parts out there. There are no CPUs. There's no GPUs. Oh, yeah. And then I thought, oh, but we have the M1 Mac Minis now. And we have laptops now. It's like, just get it. Let's just try. I'm going to switch back to Apple. And I just now wrote down um, a little sentence because I'm going to make a video about it. And basically, the sentence is, if you use VTJS, you know, the new um, build tool by FNU for JavaScript, for Vue.js, and you do the new um, Tailwind just-in-time compiler mm. on the M1, it's literally faster than my brain. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so, that like, is crazy. It's, I, it's impossible to have a computer that responds that fast. I have not noticed, like, this is a leap. It's a amazing. Leap. It's, and if I have a screen that goes to 144 hertz as well, because I had a PC, so I bought this screen. And it's just ridiculously snappy and everything yeah. works and so I've, yes i've been rolling with mine since they came out and the right. fact i can export from uh, adobe premiere pro while doing a video podcast uh wow it's, it's, really uh, totally it, it's not I even a problem it. he's been trying to get me i'm in the exact same situation where i have a mm -hmm. souped up pc that has had some issues that I just bought and he's been oh, wow. telling me about yeah. this Mac mini for a while. Like, if you want to go to like a, a laptop, great. The new M one X or whatever they're going to call it's coming out exactly. but for yeah. 700 bucks. Like, yeah, it's cool. it's ridiculous. Yeah. And you know, what's funny. I had it in my shopping cart and I just clicked the, the most tricked out one. I've had it on my, my, on my PC. I had it in my shopping cart. And then at one point I decided, okay, I'm going to buy it, but I just did it on my phone, but something didn't work. So I went back to my PC and I just bought the fully tricked out one. I hadn't actually planned on doing that, <laughs> but now, at, now I'm like, okay, that, it's cool because now I'm ready for the future. I have one terabyte of drive space and I have 16 gigs of RAM. So I think my video projects while doing music, while doing a stream is probably going to work. I haven't yep. tried it just yet because uh, it's just been problem. today. So yeah, if the only thing I've run into are there are certain things still not written um, for like they can't run through Rosetta and they're not written for um, oh, really? Apple. Um, okay. So like Google Drive, which I think is the new branded name, used to be Google mm -hmm. Stream. I think um, that didn't okay. work. So that was a big one for me because all of my videos I back up through that service and it, it won't oh. run on one. So it's a problem. But they're supposed to release in the next month, finally, okay. a fix for that. I also couldn't use um, the, oh, what's it called? I'm completely losing my mind here. The little buttons that you can hit to switch Stream your screen. 
Stream Deck, thank you. Oh no, uh, really? Because I have that one. It's in storage though. Yeah, so, that won't work. I'm yet. gonna have to I'm wait for that. Oh wow. Something I don't know about. So that, yeah, that made my for me, it's away. this guy, like this Logitech keyboard. Mm -hmm. It does work, but it's going through Rosetta and it's a bit slow. Yeah, yeah it's so just poor software. You it's to just deal with, but yeah, it's, it's an amazing machine. Yeah. Okay, so I, yeah, uh, we probably worn out the M1 pick. What's what's your second one here? There you go. This is my favorite new book. And it's very close to um, what we've been talking about, actually, about how to set up a culture in a company that is a startup to actually make that succeed. And we kind of discussed it a little just now, and this goes to the extreme. And so it's written by Reed Hastings and Aaron Meyer. And Aaron Meyer has been one of my favorite authors for a long time because he also wrote The Culture Map, which is a book that is like, oh, yeah, there it is, the, the yellow one. If you go up a bit, there it is. So that book is about how different cultures do things differently. And if you work between those cultures, what do you have to do or assume about what's happening? So she knows a lot about different cultures, right? And then so she looked at um, Netflix and she's like, this can never, ever work based on the cultural stuff I know. And then she started interviewing people and it works. Wow. And so this book describes how they set up the culture at Netflix to make it so successful in their context, obviously. So um, I just opened it here. So basically what they're saying is first they, you should get the density of talent should be super high. So only have people who really um, know their stuff or want to know at least. And then you increase candor, which means super direct feedback about everything no holding back and then you find more ways to remove control so less rules less 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 everything bottom up and um, i have my whole career as someone with soft skills been doing this kind of stuff but not that directly not that specifically and reading this back of how they do it it's very interesting because my culture is a bit like this when you're dutch you just give feedback on anything and it can work because we don't attach our hearts to facts. Like if I made a presentation deck and let's say I spelled Nike wrong, my colleague would say, hey, that's stupid. Why did you spell Nike wrong? Oh, well, we'll fix it. Done. No big deal. Nothing. Even if I worked on that for a month and I, it was my masterpiece. When you're in France, you make people cry. <laughs> right? Because they have this whole connected thing to their being. Yeah. And so I come from this completely transparent, low context culture where this is normal for me. And of course you have to be nice. You don't have to be, you know, a bad person. Right. But if you are and you have high talent and you get made people to be responsible, you don't need rules because it, yeah. it will just get better. And that's why I like this book. It's awesome. That's great. Yeah. There you go. No rules, rules. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, Brittany, you're up next. All right. So my first pick is a free CodeCamp post. If anyone's listening and just more interested in what a developer advocate is, this post was a short and concise like explanation of what the heck is a developer advocate. And I want to read this. I need to read this. <laughs> <laughs> Too long didn't read. A developer advocate is a developer's best friend. So, yeah. Okay. Cool. Well said. 
And your second pick, which and my I'm second pick is something I just found out about. I was so excited. So Jason Langsdorf, who was on our podcast a few episodes ago, um, has this Jason Ipsum. So it's Lorem Ipsum generator with boops, cooking, everything you could want from Jason Langsdorf is in this. And it is my new favorite. So I love this. <laughs> does this... Does this uh, when you boop, does it actually add something down there? I don't know, but if you want to feature, oh, there, gonna... oh, there oh, yep. It's, oh, I love it. <laughs> Booping away. <laughs> oh, Jason, I love it. That's so cool. Um, my pick, first pick, is this. Um, it's a service or a, a consulting company that's called Developer Mode. So this is their. Their main site, the developer relations company that codes, is their tagline. The cool thing about that, if you go into their like services, it's basically about developer advocacy. If you really kind of dive into it, and you know how to build successful developer relations. So, I thought it was really cool. Tim, you might want to reach out to him just to say, hey, how, how do I certainly start up? I'm learning so much right now. Thanks for all of this. <laughs> That's why I love our perfect picks. Things get revealed. Uh, now exactly. I can do some arm Ipsum and find a developer advocate. Um, and then this this was a post I found on Dev2, um, kind of preparing for this. And it talks all, again, about developer advocacy. I really enjoyed uh, reading through this and just all the different developer advocates they have like listed out on here. And every one of them are like, yep, heard of them, love what they do. And so you can just go through all the different ones and have you know, see what they're working on and how they're making it work um, at great companies like DigitalOcean there. Oh, um, cool. So it's really great post and that one's in our, our blog post as well. So, so I do have one last one that I just found. It's called developer-advocacy.com. Okay. Because it it's written it's written by uh, Christian Heilman and he has been the OG of developer relations. He started this 15 years ago at Microsoft. And he wrote this handbook. And I just started reading and like, even in the the first few sentences in the actual book, it made me like, oh, I have to read this. (laughs) Nice. I'm going to drop that one in on our show notes for you too. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, that's that's probably a wrap on our side. I really appreciate you coming on again, Tim. I always love having you on. You're you're so chill to talk to. Uh, you make Thanks. I enjoyed it. Um, oh, by the way, yeah. we are really are in a farm because my wife is behind me putting in the the firewood because that's the only source of heat we have. Oh, nice. <laughs> and it, it's actually that. getting pretty cold here. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Continue. No, no worries. Uh, I was just going to say, I, w- I want to have you back so we can talk about more uh, on uniform and, and kind of dive into that. Sure. So let me know when you're available to do that one. So nice to meet you. Thank you. Same here. Um, All right. Thanks for this, guys. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. Take care. Right, Cheers. Bye. <laughs>